It's Yona Button. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, Ontario's Premier Doug Ford may be facing an RCMP investigation into his party's handling of the green belt. This will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And we all know that Toronto traffic is just awful. But one man decided to teach some lessons while having fun by being a crosswalk referee, carting people who block intersections. We speak with him about why he started this and what else he has cooking. We also look into a former sex offender who's been called to the bar and why people are uncomfortable about it and why we are treating fentanyl as if it was a crime instead of an addiction and why we need to change how we view it. And finally, we touch base with the lead singer of the Canadian alt-rock band Hotel Mira and get the skinny on their new album and what it has to do with mental health and recovery. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. When something smells like a rotten egg, you got to call it a rotten egg. Sometimes you call it something else, but you know, it's that sulfury kind of smell you get kind of in the back of your back of your throat. And you know, you, you, you wonder if it doesn't smell right, is it right? So here's the deal. The deal is that in, uh, in Ontario, um, there has, uh, there are, is something called the green belt and the green belt is, 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 and was a protected area of land that couldn't be touched for, you know, love nor money, right? It was locked in place by previous uh, governments to protect, uh, uh natural land. And, uh, I guess, uh, whatever, um, you know, the environmental benefits of all that might be. Um, and I'll tell you, just so you understand, before we get into the story, I have a friend of mine who has a piece of property and it backs onto what is part of this green belt. He's got three acres, um, really beautiful piece of property. His parents are getting older. He wants to build another home on his property so he can care for his parents um, instead of putting them in some form of long-term care home. And so far, it's cost him about $25,000 in legal fees. And he still hasn't been able to get permission from the government to annex or separate a piece, a small piece uh, of, uh, or allow him to grow, uh, to grow, to um to build a property on the green belt. And, um, but in this case, we're talking about the Ford government, the Ontario government, provincial, uh, the provincial government, um, who have, for whatever reason or another, uh, allowed for a bunch of developers to, uh, to parcel off land or 15 parcels of land uh, to annex uh, from the green belt area for development. Uh, it's about 7,400 acres of land. Uh, the property owners that bought that property bought it sometime, apparently, according to the stories, sometime earlier than when, just earlier, not much before when the Greenbelt um, area was uh, um, where they annexed this land from the Greenbelt area. And it raised the value of about to about $8.3 billion. Okay. So we're talking, not talking about a little thing. Like my friend was trying to annex a little piece of his two acres, right? And uh, that became a whole big deal. But these guys managed to, to skin off 7,400 acres. Uh, to the tune of about $8.3 billion in value so they can build homes. So I, it, it kind of got smelly and Ontario general, um, the auditor general in Ontario, Bonnie Lis, uh, Lis, Lisick, she released a, a report on August the 9th, a few weeks past, uh, that said Ontario developers had received a preferential treatment 
and had direct influence over the Ford government's decision to extract lands from the Greenbelt. You know, so the question now becomes, I'd like to hear from you. we got a little bit of time. I'd like to hear from you. Does this seem reasonable? Like the federal police now, so now the Ontario uh, Provincial Police, because of the Auditor General's, the Auditor's report, um, they're now going to, uh, they've now got the RCMP, the the, the federal uh you know, law enforcement folks, the RCMP, and they're now going to investigate this thing uh, to see if anything went, you know, went astray, you know, something was wrong. They didn't, you know, they didn't go about that. So they know that according to the report that there are all kinds of, um, you know, I guess procedural things that that uh, they didn't follow. Uh, it kind of falls under the uh, Ontario Minister of Housing. His name is Steve Clark. Um, and then you go through the story a little bit more. Uh, by the way, the, the, the Auditor General spent six months doing her investigation, interviewed a whole bunch of people. Um, and it was noted that six staffers were given three weeks to decide which areas of land should have their protections removed. And it also said that most of the areas under consideration came from uh, Steve Clark's chief of staff whose name is Ryan Amato. So it turns out that Mr. Amato became what I think is essentially a fall guy here, scapegoat, uh, because he gave his resignation. It was accepted immediately. And uh, the minister of, uh, you know, the minister responsible uh, of housing, Steve Clark, and of course the premier, uh, continue to stand and continue to to uh, defend the the decision to annex the property to separate the property for the sake of Ontarians to build more houses and to give people more places to live. That's the, that's what they're suggesting. They're suggesting that you know it's in the benefit of Ontarians. Well, it it seems to me that like it's in the benefit of those developers who now and by the way each these are not you know local ma and pop kind of developers these are the who's who of canadian development you know i'm I'm not going to suggest names bring out names that's not my job um and and by the way no fault of theirs right they just applied and i guess they had a little bit of uh you know as my, my my father my mother would say a little schlep right a little a little extra drag there to to pull it their way but I'll tell you, it's pretty stinky, and I'm not sure what the RCMP is going to think. What do you think? I mean, we're talking about this again uh, about 15 minutes before the hour. Uh, we have a call-in segment. But uh, if you want, have some thoughts on this, you can either text them to me or give us a call at 877-399-9898 uh, at about a quarter to the hour, and uh, Leo will take your call. We can talk about it. Um, do you feel – I don't know. Do, do you believe that you're you – know, you, do you believe what you hear and read and watch – you know, uh, are there trust issues for you? I think there's trust issues for me, um, and I and I have this sort of sense of fairness, right? This I don't know. I, I believe that everyone should be treated fairly, and you know, my buddy should be able to build on his you know property for his parents and meet all the requirements of the zoning and bylaws and put in all the necessary septic and electrical and you know whatever is required. Um, they're prepared to do, as are the developers, I'm sure. But to develop this piece, these properties um, in the areas, and by the way, the, these greenbelt areas also um, butt up against many agricultural um, farms and and uh, properties and and uh, smaller towns, smaller areas up in the up in the escarpment and such in, in Ontario here, up into the hills. 
So there's a lot of people don't want, don't want housing developments built there. I mean, there's activists, there's you know people that are concerned about the environment, there's folks that are concerned about the impact on traffic in their area and so on. So I don't know. If you think that there's something smells sneaky here, if you know anything about this or just from what I'm sharing with you, I want to get your opinion. Sometimes I think government and people of power take advantage without us realizing that they are. Maybe they don't mean to be. I'm hoping that this is just an oversight, but I don't know, man. I don't think so. I just don't think that's how this kind of stuff rolls out. I think this is something that uh, uh, is somewhat premeditated and somehow uh, there are some that win and some that lose, but we'll see what the RCMP, RCMP have to say about it. And uh, as weeks go on, maybe we'll touch base some more and share this with you. Interesting story, fun story, certainly somebody at their best. I was just reading, you know, reading through some material noticed in the local Toronto, one of the local Toronto papers uh, that it says this, the article was the, the, the hero Toronto deserves why this fake soccer referee is issuing yellow cards to bad drivers. So if you look at the, you can't see the pictures, uh, but the guy's name is Martin Reese and he's a cycling advocate and an artist. Uh, he performs uh, in this case as referee Avery Goodcall. So basically, he's out in the middle of, of crosswalks in downtown traffic, downtown Toronto traffic, which, by the way, is abysmal, just horrible. And um, he's out there handing out cards like a soccer referee. Toronto, so drivers are seeing red due to traffic turmoil plaguing the city this summer. And uh, some are seeing red cards and green cards. A performance artist has gone viral on this art. This article says on social media for doing uh, doiling out violations to careless and unsuspecting motorists as if they were uh, unsportsmanlike soccer players. You gotta love it, right? Several videos show the fake soccer referee sporting a black and yellow FIFA uniform. Various intersections throughout downtown Toronto can see darting towards vehicles, blocking the pedestrian crossing with his with, with his whistle in his mouth, pulling out a yellow or red card to issue a booking. You got to love it. Right. And apparently he's not the only one. There's been other situations um, where people have done this. Um they here we are. There's let me see here if I can dig this up around the world. Other advocates uh, presented similar public campaigns to draw attention to pedestrian safety. Um, inspired uh, Reese was inspired by the Mexican artist uh, Pietonito. Uh, Pietonito, maybe I'm hoping I'm doing it well. Uh, a mysterious pedestrian rights advocate who takes to the streets of Mexico City in a mask and shoves away vehicles blocking marked crossways. Um, and also in Virginia, Commonwealth University, dressed as a football referee, um, and a policeman there to let people know. Uh, I love the story so much. We wanted to get Martin on with us, and he's standing by right now. Martin Reese, you are my hero. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. What an incredible gig, I got to tell you. I know I know you're a performance artist. We're going to get into that a little mm -hmm. bit. But standing in the middle of downtown Toronto, um, handing out uh, tick, you know, handing out uh, cards and jests, of course, but you know, creating the message of safety for pedestrians. Like, at any point in time, did you feel like you might be taking your life in your hands? Um, not too much because the traffic is, for the most part is moving pretty slowly and I'm, and I always make sure that I'm out of the crosswalk when the light has changed. So, uh, but yeah, I, I have to pay attention because uh, I'm in the middle of performing so I can get a little bit distracted by what I'm doing. Um, but no, no, generally, no, it hasn't been too bad. No, I haven't had any close calls. Really. 
how about pissed off drivers? You know, I like sometimes right. when I give somebody a scowl because they, they, they go the wrong way, they look at me like they want to kill me. Did you have any yeah. issues one-on-one -on -one with any of the drivers? Um, so I, I was, I've been asked that a lot and, uh, surprisingly, uh, not too much. They're either very cooperative or understand the language of soccer, which is very universal. They read in yellow cards and they, you know, get immediately very apologetic or ask for a replay, you know, if they, if they want to be funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but other people are just really confused and, and for the most part, uh, I've had a couple of people sort of talk back, of course, you know, they get a yellow card if they yell at me a little bit, but uh, it has been really minor nothing like it's been, I found surprisingly, no, I haven't had any issues now. What does it say on the card, Martin? Like when you hand them the uh, card, what's written, what's written on the card? Okay, it's well, it's a, it's a, it's either a red or yellow card, and they're standard uh, FIFA issue. They're the original I replicas I got from a from a store here in, in Toronto, and it just says FIFA on it, and they're just uh, very straightforward. Mostly, it's the, the writing is quite small. It just says FIFA on them. That's it. Here, I want to I want to let uh, Leo play a clip here. Uh, this is an audio from Avery Goodall officiating the intersection of Richmond Street and Peter here in Toronto. Leo. the intersection my word look at this look at this how am i supposed to officiate this it's a total mess all right go oh, this is great <laughs> <laughs> that that's fun. hysterical i love it so uh you are a toronto uh people to let people know a little bit more about um actually mm -hmm. who you are you're um you're you're an artist and you're now the crosswalk referee known as avery Goodcall. uh tell me okay. a little bit about the, the work you do and um sort of how you came about the crosswalk referee gig um and um maybe some other stuff that you've done that you're kind of excited about well, sure. Um, um, I mean, I've been sort of a cycling advocate and, and photographer about town for many years and also worked as an artist. And I'm very fortunate to have many other artist friends who, who do performances. And there's a, there's a really fantastic doc in Toronto. I'm going to meet up with him tomorrow called Louis Millard. I highly recommend you check him out on Instagram. He's hilarious. A man dresses up like a doc and then talks to people, you know, in duck language. It's quack, quack. He's very funny. <laughs> but um, essentially uh, what I do is I, I, try to, I try to sort of approach um, conflict situation with humor. Um, so I'll, I'll intervene in, in some kind of way that, that makes it a little bit more palatable to get a point across. Um, so to, to that, because I found that anger doesn't always work. Uh, um, I mean, there's, there's a place for anger, obviously, in some cases, but um, when it comes to drivers, being just yelling at them and road rage is, is not very productive. So I've, I was trying to come up with a way of, of, of dealing with that issue, which is epidemic, like it's crazy in Toronto, like all the crosswalks are blocked in downtown during rush hour. And uh, the World Cup was on, and I happened to come across a, a uniform and 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 the right materials. And then I said, well, maybe I can just come in and treat it like a soccer match. And since the World Cup is on, people will be in a good mood, and they will take it in stride. And, and thankfully, so far, they really have. Um, um, aside from that, I also do other performances where I deliver telegrams like a French postman from the 1940s to people. Um, I've been doing that for many years, and I'm kind of known for that around the city um, because I'll do that for free just for any occasion, just for fun. And it's, I'll only speak French just to confuse people um, <laughs> a little bit because most people don't speak French. But if I run into somebody French, that's usually pretty hilarious. 
because my French is not as good as theirs usually. But um, but aside from that, it's it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time, and I didn't I wasn't quite ready for the last World Cup. So when the Women's World Cup uh, came on, I, I realized okay, now it's kind of like now and ever because uh, it, you know it just felt right, and and thankfully I've been really have I've had a really good response, so I'm very happy about that. What other uh, characters do you play in your performance work? Um, oh, it can be it can be a whole bunch of different things. It can be anything from like um, I'll I'll set up a uh, a miniature swimming pool um, in like in an abandoned uh, schoolyard that's being you know you know uh, yep. dem demoed like like I find an abandoned space and I'll set up like an American lifeguard station um, on a place that really there is no there is no water or pool but I'll, I'll pretend to be an American <laughs> lifeguard um, or I will also um, try to to do things like <clears throat> show up in like like if there's like a really a political event uh, happening yeah. here like doing the g20 i walked around like a man with a yellow typewriter you know and tried to get <laughs> access with my yellow typewriter in, in to see barack obama and yeah, i got i got much closer to the fence than most people people surprisingly you know didn't didn't cool. want to hurt me um so i'll do that kind of thing just to just to be just to just to like make things a little bit more human, you know, in, in, in that respect, you know, have fun. Terrific. My guest this evening is Martin Reese. He is known as Avery Goodcall, and he was seen in downtown Toronto making sure that traffic moved like it should through the crosswalks and stuff during busy, busy uh, uh, times of the day, during busy rush hour time, uh, and uh, was uh, highly effective from what we understand. Uh, Martin, thanks for hanging around and being a part of this. Um, Sure. This, how did you come up with Avery Goodcall? I mean, it's a great name, but how did you, <laughs> how did you put together that persona? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I was, I was kind of asking myself that a little bit, but um, essentially, I, I wanted to have like a name that would be, you know, relate, you know, relatable uh, in in a, in a funny sort of way, like we're kind of like a pun on yeah. on and uh, and. Um, and I came up with good call first, and then I was trying to find out with a, like try to come up with the first name, and then Avery sounded good. Although I think it's mostly intended for, for females, but I think it can be also called. Uh, it's also being used for men. Um, so yeah, so that immediately stuck. I, I checked with I checked with my partner, and she gave me a you know nod saying yeah, that's a good one. So I, I stuck with that, and and I also I also refer to the uh, the people that I'm that I'm working for as the uh, um, Federation of International Fun Artists or FIFA. Um, so that's kind of a, is a secondary joke because I'm surrounded by artists, other, other artist friends like uh, Stephanie Avery and Sherry Kasman who do similar work here in the city, and uh, we, we kind of work as a collective. And it'd be nice to have something to make fun of the FIFA name as well a little bit. I love it, and uh, you know, if you separate the A from the Avery, it says a very good call. Exactly, that's say, exactly yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, and I'm not that smart, so it took me a little while to figure uh, it out. So, um, this is something you volunteer to do. Like, I, I understand that you know you do things like this, the telegrams you were talking about, delivering messages mm -hmm. to people in in in, yeah. in, uh, in costume in in, um, in character. What what pays the bills though? Is like this kind of stuff is there's obviously a passion project based mm -hmm. on your advocacy the fact that you're trying to keep the world this the road safer for cyclists and pedestrians um what what pays the bills what's the day gig um i work in uh, i'm a very uh, a very tolerant uh, employee i work in the arts in the arts communities uh, as an, I'm an arts worker so i work for a baroque orchestra called tafa music in toronto okay. um, for the last 30 years so they kind of 
let me let me out of the office a bit early when I want to do something during rush hour, for example. Um, and they've also used my my character of um, um, for delivering telegrams live on stage a couple of times. So they're very uh, they're very uh, they're very good very good natured about what I do in you know in my Amazing. time, and and that certainly pays the bills. Yeah. What type of artist uh, are you? Are you talking about uh, like your performance art or your performance yeah, yeah, art, I do, or uh, are you yeah, graphic? Well, yeah, well? I mean, I, I do multimedia art, so it's uh, a I bit see. of everything. Um, so I do a bit of film. I do a bit of, I, I do a lot of photo documentation um, in the city. I also do a bit of street art. Uh, I work on things like uh, fixing broken street planters with Lego, or putting in miniatures in the street. Um, I give you a good example of um, a recent project that that was very popular in, in the city. We we took an abandoned lot uh, next to an LCBO, uh, like a liquor store, and we yeah. turned it into a provincial park right in downtown Toronto. Uh, it was called the uh, Parkdale Provincial Park. Um, so we created basically we opened up the fences and put in trees and and little botanical gardens and things like that. And uh, we kind of we try and and put it on Google Maps and had signs up and everything all around the park. And uh, cool. so we tried to create like a little provincial park right in the downtown Toronto. So. Very cool. So these are like ma- somewhat major installations. This is not. Uh, yeah, it can be. You know, yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, have you had, have you had other characters? Have you have you performed in in other character form um, in the streets, so to speak, uh, with any success, or is this your first kind of foray into into playing that role in public? Um, this is probably the most. Uh, public I've done and other performances are pretty much personal or on a smaller scale. Um, but this is, yeah, this is the most public. I mean, like being in the middle of traffic surrounded by people and cars, this is definitely the most, uh, um, open I've been about, 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 about what I do. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is definitely the most, uh, out there <laughs> if you will. So yeah. And, it, and it's been, it's been incredibly, uh, incredibly positive in many respects. Amazing. Uh, has it helped you get any work of any kind? Have anybody said, hey, listen, you know, I have a company party. I'd love you to come and play this character or that <laughs> character. Has it no. led to anything in terms of propelling you forward or not so much? No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I, I think uh, for the most part, it's it's uh, it's reaffirmed um, my uh, my reputation as a, as a, as a performance artist um, and as a, and as an activist to some extent. But um but no, it hasn't really led to anything else yet. Um, I think people are mostly just entertained, um, and that's fine, you know. And I, I don't really. I'm going to be going out in September for a, f- a few more weeks, and once the kids go back to school, and there's even more traffic down Toronto, unbelievably, I'm going to go back uh, every Wednesday afternoon and do uh, do some repeat performances at the same intersection downtown. Um, so I look forward to that. I, I'm, I'm hoping more people will come out and 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 see what's happening and say hi. Well, I appreciate you uh, your time and the work that you do, and maybe I'll catch you out there on the streets. I'm talking to uh, Martin Reese. He's uh, a cycling advocate. He's a performance artist. He's a multimedia artist and just all-around good guy. Thank you so much thank for you. your time, Martin. appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. I, I thank you for the kind words and having me on your show, and this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. So thank you. So hello to, uh, to British Columbia. We have a caller. Her name is Gail from Toronto. Gail, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm well, thank you. You want to share a little something about the previous uh, 
conversation we were having? Yes, I do. Number one, I may have been that old lady shaking her cane. I've done it <laughs> once or twice. Good for you. I love it. Uh, what number two? Yes. Um, the fellow that was on giving out the uh, the tickets. The car- actually, he was I, giving out I, cards, I, pretending to be a yes. soccer coach, soccer referee. Yep. I wish that he would do it to the people on the bikes. Mm. More than once, I've had the right of way. I know the traffic. The cars have stopped. You go to step out onto the road. And out of nowhere, a bite comes. Yeah, I know. It just about takes it's... off your nose. Yeah. And half the time, they're going the wrong way. <laughs> oh, no, Gail, it's a, good thing. it's a good thing they're not in a car, right? Thank, thankfully, they're not in a car. They're, they're yeah, behind the bike. Yeah, would definitely be gone. Well, you, you keep swinging that stick of yours, okay? And when I see you next on the street, I'll stop by and say, hey, thanks so much. That's Gail from Toronto. Be careful, because if okay, you get in her right. way on the crosswalk... She's going to take you out with a stick. She's going to take you out with her walking stick. Um, okay, so speaking of being, you know, caught up in, in in sort of legal things, I guess that, you know, Gail, if she ever actually does hit you in the head, might actually have a legal issue around that. Who knows? Uh, but um, going to the story, there's a, and there's a public publication ban, so you can't really talk about who this person is. But the bottom line, there's a guy that was um, – that was uh, charged and, and found um, and, and actually admitted uh, to the crime of uh, sexually abusing children. Um, and uh, basically there was touching involved. They touched him. He touched them. I don't want to get into the convert, the whole description because it's rather sickening and doesn't really help the, the story here, the, the share that I'm trying to share with you. Anyway, the bottom line is that there, he's trying to get called to the Law Society of Ontario to the bar so he can continue to practice or would be able to practice law. And they um, are, according to the Law Society, here's where the story gets really kind of funky, right? Um, they don't they won't publish his name anywhere. He's not on any kind of registry anywhere uh, because they're concerned. The, the judge was concerned about the impact it would have on his children. Now, I get it. I do. But what impact is it going to have on other people's children? If this guy has a thing with kids, right? I don't want to get into a whole discussion about how I feel about that. That's a whole different discussion but according to the ontario law requires a lawyer to be in good character what i'm reading here in, in terms of the, the the regulations uh in a small number of cases and the individuals applying for a license are referred to uh to a hearing at the tribunal to decide whether uh past conduct has impaired their character and therefore their ability to be licensed. Now, I got to tell you, I run a couple of treatment centers and I work, I, I, I do some volunteer work with, with young people. Um, and I, I, every six months, have to have something called a vulnerable sector check in the jurisdiction that I live in. So I have to go to my local police and apply for something called the vulnerable sector check, pay the 60 bucks, they take my fingerprints, and they either yay or nay me to continue to work in the field that I work in, in the, in the, in the spirit of protecting uh, people, you know, young people in particular, but uh, people in general from sex offenders and those that uh, have been, um, you know, arrested and charged with such crimes. Right. So 
how do you become in good character? Uh, yeah, I sure I get that people will rehabilitate. Sure, you know they they, they people change. Everybody changes. People rehabilitate. Uh, but you know, in in this case, um, there's three separate incidents, and um, it had the guy goes on to talk about at the time he was living in another country with his family after becoming strictly religiously observant. They don't say what religion. He wanted to become a religious leader. He'd been confronted by the father of one of the child children, disclosed what had happened to several people, including his then wife and child protection and, and his then wife and a child protection agency. He was never criminally charged, apparently, but had to be supervised when around children. So I guess there was I, I take it back. There wasn't any charges, uh, but there were allegations that he admitted to uh, being true. Uh, notes that child protection agency here uh, became aware of it uh, prior to sexual abuse. It was recommended that he not be in the presence of children unsupervised and recommended that he remains in place. So a couple pieces here. Okay. The fact that it happened in another country, just in my mind, just makes it even creepier. Because what that means is you can go to certain countries. There are certain countries in the world that don't have the proper uh, youth child protections in place where if you're bent that way, and again, not making a judgment call, you can have little boys, little girls, or anything in between, dogs, cats, and, and animals, whatever is your thing, right? Again, not providing an opinion, but I think you can take it from the tone of my voice, how I feel about it. And then you can come to this country and wipe your hands and go, no, no, I don't do that anymore. I did that there, but I don't do that here. Let me tell you, after four decades of doing therapy and working in crisis care and all that kind of stuff, as much as I believe that my patients do as well as they can, and they make a lot of change, a lot of behavioral changes, but things like sexual um, sexual deviancy and so on is very, very difficult to get over unless you're doing a ton of therapy. And nowhere, now, now it says that this guy uh, that he had a psychiatrist diagnose him as suffering from a pedophilic disorder in remission. Pedophiliac disorder in remission, meaning that while he showed symptoms in the past, he no longer displays any now and, has, and his overall risk level is very low. Okay, so he passed some kind of test. So the question is, without even getting into the past and getting into the crimes that this guy committed and didn't get charged with and probably should have and probably should be on registries and all that kind of stuff, right? That the, 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 they go on to say the applicant has a genuine commitment to continuing therapy and vigilant, uh, vigilance, vigilance to ensure that he does not reoffend against minors. Okay. If he was a school teacher, how would you feel about that? If he was running a summer camp, how would you feel about that? There's a couple of stories here in Ontario recently where some people that were at summer camps are, are now being charged and so on. Like, um, I, I had a patient not long ago, frankly, I'll tell you a quick story, where he was with a girl. Girl had a daughter, an 11-year-old daughter. And uh, he and the girl were together. They both had a drinking and cocaine problem. They got high together. They got drunk together. They partied together. And then he realized that she was rather toxic for him and worked to try to end the relationship. Two weeks after ending the relationship, he gets an email from her, says, I really need you to look at this. We've got to talk. He opens up the email. There are, uh, there are inappropriate nude pictures of her daughter that she sends, sends to the guy. 
The guy opens them up. 15 minutes later, there's a knock on the door. The police call, come in, and they charge him with uh, receiving and viewing child pornography. Obviously, the woman did what she needed to do to try to get back at him. He, later on, it turns out that he was he, 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 he um, was uh, found not guilty, uh, got a lot of help around his addiction, is doing very, very well. But here's a situation where a guy is, you know, admittedly, right, having you know, some form of inappropriate sexual touching with young people and now wants to practice law. And the law society is saying, well, I think he might be of good character now. I don't know. I don't know if people change that quickly. I don't know if you can get over it that fast. I don't know if I'd want him practicing law. I don't even know if I'd want him around my parents, my children, my, my, my grandkids, anybody. That's kind of... Anyway, my take on it. So lots you got to be careful. Ask lots of questions when you're hiring people. Make sure you do all the due diligence because all these societies, law societies and medical organizations and so on, they do everything they can to protect their own. And I don't think enough to protect the victim. Got my friend Murray. He's in Edmonton. He wants to say, hey, hey, Murray, how are you? Yona. I'm okay. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm well, brother. How are you? Kind of sad. Yeah, why you sad, buddy? Well, hold on. Uh, you touch on topics that um, you're talking about. Uh, just let me clear my chairs here. Oh. It's okay, buddy. Just grab your composure. Take your time. Breathe. Uh, I'm in no hurry. I got you. Give me, give me a couple seconds. Yeah, man. I got so you. So no you're problem. talking about uh, so many things tonight that interest me. I, I Here's my question. You're the best on Chorus Radio Network. Why are you <laughs> tucked away Saturday nights? You should be on every day. <laughs> well, first of all, I really appreciate it. In running group homes. Yes, sir. That's what you do. I run treatment and centers amazing. and virtual and treatment my whole centers. Life, and so my whole life, I've been in government institutions, orphanages, group homes, and all of that in Alberta. A permanent ward of the province. Do you know what that means? Permanent wardship? I, I, I do, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. And that but that, was my but that's, a, that's, a, but that's a long time ago. So, Marie, what are you doing with your life now? Okay, so I'm hanging in. I'm not doing bad. I haven't been in a police car in like 45 years. I drink (laughs) four beers a night. I'm not on narcotics. I do smoke a little bit of marijuana. But I'm okay considering I have to raise myself. My parents were the province of Alberta. And at age five, I I was led to a vehicle by a social worker. And uh, I spent years in institutions, group homes. And it was so but, bad at the age of 30, I sued the Alberta government and won. Good boy. So you're living off the government Here's now? Here's the thing, though. What you're talking about tonight is sexual abuse. Yep. You're talking yes, about sir. many things, but the sexual abuse, and that was my problem. At the age of 12, I was in an institution, and they said, you're outgrowing this facility. You have to go with this man. And I said, I don't want to go with him. You have to, you have to, you have to. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And yep. I was uh, led to a van, and I went to group home number five. And, wow. uh, yeah, 
but he started diddling me on uh, day one. Well, you some, home. somehow he was a federal, some, uh, provincial government employee, and yeah. what I'm talking about is you're saying these these people are being released, but their kink is their kink is their kink. Yeah, and they're I, not I, you know what? Change. Yeah, you know what, Murray? I totally agree with you. I think that uh, sometimes it's it's hard to overcome these things. It's not impossible, but clearly, first of all, I I, I want to congratulate you on making a life for yourself and uh, being on top of things. I've done and, the best uh, I could. Yeah, man, and you seem to be doing okay, and I really appreciate you calling and being a listener and keep sticking around, and uh, every once in a while you feel like giving me a call. I'd love to say hi, and uh, great that you had some time to join with me tonight. And uh, I'm just going to carry on here and do some more work, but uh, listen in, be a part of it, and uh, we can talk later if you feel like calling back, uh, but we're going to let you go. And, uh, Murray, I really appreciate you, and uh, you just hang in there, buddy. You're going to be okay, I promise. It's all going to work itself out. You'll see. We're going to talk about fentanyl here, so hang in there and have a listen, okay? So what the, the next conversation that we're going to go have and we're going to have is about, you know, fentanyl and drugs. And I, I got to tell you, and, and, and I think Murray will, will agree with me. And, you know, I'm sure he's listening in and he'll give me a thumbs up. You know, addiction is addiction is a disease. People don't choose to put themselves in a position most for the most part, don't choose to put themselves in a position where they're going to put their lives at risk by injecting something that they think is one drug and end up being another. And we're treating this, this fentanyl problem, which is, a, which is really a tainted drug problem, as much as it's anything. It's not because people are out there looking to find fentanyl if they don't have to. They prefer other things like Oxycontin or heroin or some other form of opioid that's clean. That's likely not going to kill them. Fentanyl is very difficult to manage if you're, you know, burning off a patch of a fentanyl patch or you're cooking up a pill or like whatever it is. It's very difficult to to main, you know maintain an even flow. And it's a very, very, very volatile drug. It's very potent. Um, there are other forms like cart fentanyl is even more potent. But it doesn't it's not about the drug, my friend. It's not about the drug. It's about why people use, not what they use. It doesn't matter if it's fentanyl, heroin, alcohol, sexting, texting, eating disorders, gambling, it, whatever it is, that, that at-risk behavior is a manifestation of unsettled mental health. It, it just, it, it's just, there's no other way to, to see it. And the, 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 the approach to, to drug enforcement by taking people who have an illness, for example, who have an opioid disorder, have an opioid addiction disorder, right? Who have, who are, have an issue with fentanyl and opioids and things like that and taking them, picking them up off the street and throwing them in jail so they can withdraw well in a, in a facility that doesn't provide any kind of withdrawal um, support and likely will lead to unsettled mental health. So they're going to be in a form of, of, of distress they're whether highly, highly depressed or highly anxious or a combination of both, like putting somebody in jail isn't the answer. The dealers, for sure, those that are out there that are dealing the drugs and those that are out there that are manufacturing the drugs, because, you know, these these drugs are all cooked in somebody's basement and then put in some pill form or some form of powder or whatever. It's, it's packaged up, right? It gets packaged up for distribution. That's how money's made. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this summary here. A uh, senior policy analyst with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. Listen to what he has to say about this whole regulation issue. No evidence behind why we've chosen to regulate some drugs over others. Something other than prohibition and criminalization is what we need to be moving towards. So I want to hear what you feel. we got a few minutes here. Give me a call. 
at uh, 877-399-9898. Are you tired of hearing about people dying from fentanyl overdoses and drug overdoses and drug-related disease and, and, and what comes with that? And are you tired of hearing about the drugs and the drugs and the drugs and are you not hearing enough, like I'm not hearing enough about the social issues and the housing issues and the, 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 the issues of, of unemployment, the issues of unsettled mental health and no real place to go get help when you want it for the most part, really anywhere in this country. You got to wait forever to get to see a psychiatrist if you can at all to get into a treatment program that you don't pay for is is, is weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting. And I got to tell you, after working with over four thousand patients in my career, you know when you're when you're in, in a crisis mode and you want help, you want help now. And if you have to wait two or three weeks to get the help, chances are you're going to give up. That's just reality. They just you get tired of waiting. The waiting can't last much longer. And if you don't get the help, you just go back to the drug. Because what you don't understand, my friends, is the at-risk behavior is, in fact, how many people manage their unsettled mental health. It's called self-medicating in whatever form. In this case, we're talking about drugs. So the whole idea of decriminalizing drugs so that people are treated as opposed to incarcerated makes a lot of sense. How we're going to get there, I'm not sure. But we're well on our way. I think that's where this country is moving. And we need to understand that people that have drug addiction issues aren't dregs of society. They're not there trying to make your life miserable. They're trying to make their lives just a little bit better. And that's how they seem to do it, right? Charlie Kerr Kerr is uh, out there. He's the lead vocalist and uh, singer, and uh, he was playing guitar there, and a really quite talented young man. Going to join us here in just a second. He and his band uh, are committed to, um, to, you know, talking about – raising awareness around psychosis, schizophrenia, other kinds of uh, persistent mental health diseases. Um, he advocates for mental health support services, strikes a personal, um, it, it strikes a personal chord for him. Uh, he is a Vancouver musician. He lives with borderline personality disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder and has experienced a few short but frightening bouts of psychosis. Uh, it's been linked to a wide spectrum of psychiatric disorders, including schizophrenia, major depression, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, and so on. Uh, I thought everyone went through the same amount of pain, but I was just way worse at dealing with it and felt like I couldn't make it through, Kerr, Kerr, Kerr would say. Uh, about, a life, uh, about life before his diagnosis at 22, he's now 32, uh, Kerr counts himself lucky. When he looks back, um, the way mental health services helped him uh, regain uh, control over his life. And uh, I want you to have a listen here, what he says about how difficult life was between 2009 and 2017. I don't think 2015 was like, I think personally it was a pretty tough time for me, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, I I can't remember. Like probably I was making music and acting, but that kind of chunk of time from like, I don't know, 2009 to 2017. It's pretty blurry. Just, Mm. yeah, just just surviving, you know? So my guest, Charlie Kerr, lead vocalist of Hotel Mirror. Charlie, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, It's uh, good to be here. It's it's funny to hear, it's funny to hear my uh, sort of, uh, my uh conditions like a resume that was incredible <laughs> like incredible like difficult to hear or incredible like no, looking no, at where you are now and yeah. how you've overcome it 
surreal. It's surreal, and yeah, I suppose in in a way like, whoa, yeah, wow, that's that's pretty different from um, uh, where I'm at today. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, so you're talking to a guy with uh, ADD, anxiety disorder, and OCD, so uh, I get it. I've been living like this uh, quite some time, even prior to diagnosis. So I can tell you, buddy, guys like you and me, if you do the work and you do the stuff you need to do, we can do real well and uh, carry on and thrive in life as you certainly are. By the way, i got to tell you, you're really good. Like, you're really good. Your vocals are awesome. Your guitar licks are sick. I got a lot of friends in the music business that are accomplished musicians. And I, I you know, I, I got to tell you, I can hear good from bad and uh, impressive, really impressive. Um, so give me a give me a quick idea here of um, I don't want to go through like what you went through and, and all that. We can kind of gather that. And I don't think it's important um, or valuable really for the conversation. But I want to talk about sort of coming out of what you've come out of, um, you know, in terms of identifying your mental health issues, dealing with it and so on. Um, does that stimulate your creativity from time to time? Like, is it, is it in the back of your mind when you're doing stuff to, to kind of resonate with that message, get something off your chest, so to speak? Tell me how that creative thing flows for you. Yeah, it's almost like, um, it's almost like they, they work hand in hand. Um, I, I was expressing what was going on in my life through music since I could remember. And then I got a bit of um, fame and, and success and people who weren't just like my friends and family being like, you know, I connect to this. This is, this is important to me. And, um, and it was, it was the most, it was a big risk mind you, because I was still so insane and sort of obsessed with um, uh, other people's validation and, and sort of um, didn't really know what was real or, or what wasn't. So it was a big swing to sort of um, express what I was going through. And, and you know, if, if people didn't like the records, um, like that's a very terrifying outcome. So I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful that at, at such a young age, um, people were like, yeah, like keep going. Like, this is cool. This is important. Cause I might not have been showing it on my face, but it was so important to me that, um, that people liked what I was doing. It was almost life or death, you know? Um, yeah, it's that. It's yeah, it's that. Uh, it's that. What, is, what are we looking for? I guess we're looking for the, uh, the 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 accreditation or the acceptance, right? Is it? Uh, is that? And is that something you you sort of are challenged with and have been most of your life in terms of you know worrying, not worrying, but thinking so much about what others think and kind of you know drive maybe your own personal feeling of self around how people respond to you. Is that something that is sort of a part of your behavior or more so now that you're famous and people are looking up at you? Yeah. Uh, no, I think it was much worse. It was much worse before. Um, okay. uh, it was much worse before. Um, uh, I just, I, I didn't really have, much of a sense of self. I, I was just, I was just, um, excuse the cliche, but like I, I was my, um, 
I was my own worst enemy. Like I, I had no, um, I, I thought everything I was and everything I did, um, was terrible. And, and I basically just kept a ledger of when people said I was a decent person. And, um, and when people said I was like a good lyricist or whatever. And I, I tried to just like, have that penetrate, um, my brain. But, um, when you, when it is sort of that, um, pass or fail binary, um, you know, all somebody has to say is that I I was, I was bad at something or I was a failure and, and my world just would shatter. It's not like that anymore, thankfully, but, um, thankfully, but, but, uh, cause I, you know, those, those, there's more to life than uh, than just that, and I think I have a better handle on um, on um, what uh, what to do what with mat- that. What matters and what doesn't. Yeah, where, where, what's real yeah, and what isn't. Yeah, and sort you know? of the the autonomy of of my experience, yeah. and it, it doesn't need to be um, it doesn't need to be validated by um, you know. Uh, a great mass of people like it can just be me. My guest is Charlie Kerr. He is a musician with the band Hotel Mira. Um, the song we just heard is Jungle by Hotel Mira. Really good stuff. You need to uh, get yourself, uh, however you access music, you should get your hands on this stuff. There's some new stuff coming up September the 8th. Charlie's got a, a new album coming out. And, uh, you know, one of the, work a little bit of work that our producer did here in terms of the background one of the things that charlie talks about in an interview earlier uh with someone else was uh, around how watching comedies um really seems to help him have a listen real quick here it's a a real quick uh, clip and then we'll get back with charlie my favorite show i think especially when i was like really deep in like uh ptsd kind of recovery and and um and therapy i needed things that brought me back to neutral or, or just to chill out so i, I rewatched the same kind of comedies over and over again to kind of calm down so i would watch a lot of the office you know um charlie you're still there with me right buddy yeah absolutely Okay, perfect. You know, one of the things I tell my patients all the time and certainly something I do, I listen to at least an hour's worth of comedy every night to calm myself down before going to bed. It's amazing how it works, right? It's it's the laughter. It's the distraction. What what does it do for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I don't like, know. I guess it's just on some level it makes me feel like um, – Yeah, uh, I don't know. Tra- transported maybe to like, um, to uh, to some Happier pretty instant place. joy. Yeah. Um. I yeah, I, I mean, particularly with the office, I think it's a really like yeah calming show. Like no one, no one on that show is so like sexy that you feel bad about yourself and no one's job is like particularly glamorous. It's, it's just like, and like all the colors are kind of drab. So it's, it's really just about like matters of the heart and people looking out for each other and people sort of like, 
um, you know, stubbing their toe along the way. Like that shows just, uh, it's just really calming for me. I think the sounds too, it's just like just the monotony of the typing and the, and the phone ringing and the printer and stuff. I think a lot of people have that as their comfort show. And, and, uh, I think I get why. What do you, uh, what do you, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, I tell people, patients often to listen to music to calm themselves down, uh, besides the, besides the, the, the show, you know, the comedy that you watch, what do you listen to? Who do you listen to to chill? What kind of music do you listen to to chill? Oh man. I'm, I mean, I'm always listening to music. So it's, it's sort of the, the mood I'm in doesn't really reflect what I'm listening to. Um, uh, believe it or not. Um, so I'm, I'm usually just listening to, um, whatever I'm kind of into at the time. Um, as far as stuff, goes in terms of like what um i'd like to uh um what i'd turn to in a moment of panic it would it would maybe be um like stand-up uh listening to stand-up or or watching uh, or watching stand-up yeah yeah, I, I find that uh, I find for me that if I'm in kind of a down mood and I kind of stuck in a funk, uh, Beach Boys, especially in the summertime. Uh, you know, I'm an older guy, and uh, uh, you know, Beach Boys just takes me back to you know summers with the roof down, and, you know, the the, the 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 you know the girlfriend at the time. Um, but you know, it's it's I guess we each have kind of our own thing. You know, when when you're writing and you're producing music. Yeah. And, and you're dealing with difficult subjects like addiction and mental health and recovery. How do you weave that in so that it's impactful and informational in terms of, you know, giving somebody, uh, I think it's pretty uplifting stuff that you do. So giving somebody a boost, but at the same time, making it really cool music. So you want to listen to it anyway. How do you blend all that and make it work? That's such a good question. Um, and and I just want to say before we move on that like um, Brian Wilson is one of the greatest uh, songwriters and arrangers yeah. of all time. God only knows is yeah. uh, what I'd be without you is is one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, so uh, I'm right there with you. Um, I think it, the trick to writing stuff with really really dark. Um, uh, material um, is um, injecting a little bit of hope where you can. Yeah. Like hope is yeah. hope is such a um, uh, if you were making a meal, like hope would be like the vanilla extract. You don't yeah. want to overdo <laughs> it. You know what I mean? You don't want to overdo the hope in your songs that are dark. You just need the tiniest bit because if somebody's going on the journey of like, man, this is bleak and you just give them a tiny bit of like, but it might not be in the end. They'll, they'll, they'll get along. They'll, they'll get on board with your journey. In my opinion, um, that's what I've found. Um, I think also it's just like, I write 
what's real to me. I, I write my experience. I, I write about my friends and family. I write about how um, I see it, what um, I grew up in, what I'd like to change. And I think just writing authentic, authentically about um, whatever you're passionate about or, or, or is your purpose or whatever you need to get out I think there's this sort of like a smell test where people go like, Oh, Oh, I can tell, I can tell he means it by this line. Oh, I've been there. Like that, that perks my ear up. Let me keep listening. Um, and then I think that the, the, the style of making it like quote unquote cool or whatever, I think I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever really cared about like being quote unquote cool. I think it's way more important to me to be um, honest and, and purposeful and like, and, and a bit of a dork and have a moral compass. Like this, this sort of uh, leather jacket, ladies, man, fucking nonsense. I, I don't, I don't care. You know what? It's uh, it's remarkable that you, um, you know, the, the the music that you produce is 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 so incredible. And you know, listening to you talk and sharing with you right now, and and, and getting your sense of of uh, purpose and balance, uh, really remarkable. I mean, and you're you know, let's face it, you're a young man. You know, still uh, certainly in my eyes, a young man in the scheme yeah. of things. And um, you know, I I, I got to tell you before I let you go here, I, I got to tell you that uh, I absolutely believe that you are one hundred percent on a really good path. And I also believe that the work that you do when you hear your, your vocals and, and, and hear your music, it's very clear to me that it's therapeutic for you. Um, and we're so lucky as the listening public to be able to get that special music that you provide because you can hear it. You can hear the stuff that you're working through and you can hear the energy that you've created for yourself. And I just want you to know if you don't know it yourself, you're exceptionally good at what you do, and people do love your music. Many people that we've talked to uh, do love your music. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm an, like I say, I'm an older guy. Might not really be my jam entirely, but uh, I love the vocals. I love the work that you do, and you know, let's let's talk some more. You know, if you get some time, you come to Toronto for sure. Maybe we can even hook up in person. But uh, Charlie, I really I really uh, respect the work that you do, and I got a lot of a lot of time for you, young man. And uh, don't give up because you're absolutely going to the moon and back. So uh, we wish you nothing but great success. Likewise, man. Thank you so much.